Hi, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra podcast. I'm Caitlin Choi, a violist in the orchestra. And I'm Felipe Tristan, assistant conductor. And the clip of music you just heard was Le Tombeau de Couperin by Ravel. We are excited to start the season with our first concert on Sunday, October 23rd at the Brooklyn Museum at 2 p.m. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with our board president, Kate Stocker, to hear about the upcoming season. Then we'll be speaking with the soloist for our upcoming concert, violist Sinyan Wang. Finally, we'll be getting up close and personal with Kate Stocker again to hear about her experience as a musician in the orchestra. Before we get started, we wanted to send a word of thanks to Sarah O'Keefe, who, along with producer and editor Dana Villarreal, pioneered this podcast last season and did an exceptional job. Unfortunately, Sarah couldn't continue, but we wish her all the best. We're here with Kate Stocker, BSO board president. Hello, Kate. How are you? I'm doing very well. Hello, Felipe. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. Thanks for having me Thanks tonight. Thanks for coming. So, yeah, so we have a really wonderful season in store for the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. Our first concert is going to be on the 23rd of October, where we will be performing Rossini's overture to his opera Semiramis and the Bartok Viola Concerto with our featured guest that you'll be hearing from later, Sun Yun Huang. And we'll be ending that concert with Beethoven 7, which I know a lot of the members of the orchestra are really excited to perform. It's a great piece. One of my favorite symphonies of Beethoven. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. On December 18th, we will be performing Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet Fantasy with our very own Felipe conducting. Well, thank you. I'm so excited and so looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. In February, we're going to be doing a piece by Otterino Respighi, Impressions of Brazil, and also a suite by William Walton and George Gershwin's An American in Paris, which I'm very, very excited to perform. On April 9th, we will have a guest conductor, David Bernard, from the Park Avenue Chamber Symphony. And it will be a very Russian program with Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade and Stravinsky's Firebird. And then we'll be rounding up the season with another Russian-flavored program with the Shostakovich Cello Concerto performed by our principal cellist, Cynthia Racine, uh, Mazursky's Night on Bald Mountain, and Borodin's Symphony Number no. 2. And what can you tell us about what other concerts we're going to have this year outside of the season? So we're going to have a few concerts outside of the season with smaller ensembles. This will be our fourth annual Concert for Hope. It's the Hope Reichenbach Fund, which has been a very fund that's very near and dear to the orchestra. We'll be having a small string orchestra concert on December 4th. And that's going to be featuring pieces by Dvorak, by Vivaldi, and by Cole Porter. Where is that going to be? That's going to be at the South Oxford space in Fort Greene. And then in November, we're also having a performance with an Israeli folk singer at the King's Theater. So, yeah, it's the BSO's debut at the King's Theater, which will be very exciting. This is in Brooklyn, the King's Theater, right? Yes. Yes. It's It's a beautiful space. I don't know if you've been in there, but it's just gorgeous. Yeah. And it's been remodeled, I Mm -hmm. believe, and it's just more beautiful than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. King's Theater used to be an old movie house. And um, yeah, if you, s- if you see pictures of it and it- it's just absolutely breathtaking. And when is this taking place, sorry? Uh, November 13th. Wow. So great. many great things happening for the orchestra this year. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. I am too. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be a really exciting season. And we're still looking into some other projects. And hopefully I'll be back on the podcast to let you know all about them. Hopefully we'll have you back. (laughs) Thank you, President Kate Stocker.
Thank you, Caitlin Choi. You're welcome. <laughs> so we look forward to having you back later in this episode and talk a little bit more about your role as a musician because, of course, you're a wonderful president, but also you play in the violin section. So we want to hear about Kate Stalker, the musician. Can't wait. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> We're here with our next guest, Sinyan Wang, an incredibly accomplished violist who first came to international attention as the gold medalist and youngest competitor in the 1988 Lionel Turtis International Viola Competition. She has been a soloist with the Berlin Radio Orchestra, the Tokyo Philharmonic, Zagreb Soloists, and the London Symphonia, among many others. Her recording, Viola Viola, has been praised by the Gramophone and BBC Music Magazines. She currently serves on the faculty at the Curtis Institute of Music and the Juilliard School. She'll be playing the Bartok Viola Concerto in our October 23rd concert. Hello, Sinyun. Thank you very much for being here today with us. It's really my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Felipe and Caitlin. We're glad to have you. So we would like to hear a little bit about your beginnings in music. How is it that you got started in music in the first place? Okay, I love it that your question is, how did I get starting music and not so much a viola? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I often call myself the, the accidental violist. And it's really true in that I grew up as a really as a, as a singer um, in, oh, in wow. my father's little children choir. Wow. My father was perhaps the most passionate music educator and he loved voice. So I grew up singing and I grew up playing the piano. No pressure from parents. It was simply, I just lived in a world of Bach and Mozart and Haydn because my father loved it. So when I was 10, I attended a music school and all the kids are required to pick a second instrument. At that point, all the pianists picked the violin and all the violinists picked the piano because you have to imagine Taiwan 40 years ago, there was nothing but piano and violin. Nobody knew anything else. Your instrument at this time was, was piano. piano. Yes. Uh, I did not want to play the violin only because everybody else was playing it. And I wanted to play something nobody played. <laughs> Good choice. And, well, so I actually, I went to the orchestra office and I remember asking, is there something that nobody plays? Like, what do you need? They said, well, we need, we need oboists and we need violists. We had zero idea what a viola was. Um, <laughs> my father just said, well, you're a girl. Maybe playing the oboe doesn't look so good. Why don't you play the viola? <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say this because, of course, I adore the oboe, and I know plenty of beautiful yes. female oboe players. <laughs> yeah, so when I tell elegant. the story, I have to be very careful. But you know, at the time, it was just simply out of ignorance. I mean, we just didn't know. And so, so I picked up the viola playing so poorly. I <laughs> never learned to read the clef and I never practiced. The piano was so much more fun and I got into conducting. I was very, very happy as a pianist. So one of my favorite things to do was chamber music. I loved yeah. playing with others. When I was in my father's choir, I also sang alto. I was always the middle voice. So I think there was already something maybe in the in my brain, you, you know, learning. The zone of... Well, just listening inside out, yeah. which is yeah, yeah. a really, it's a great privilege. Yeah. It's really different from listening just to yourself, but listening 
oh, how can I help? How can yeah, I be a group? Fit in here. Right, how can you yeah. fit in? Uh, so anyway, one of the things, my favorite things to do was playing sonatas with other people. And most pianists just did not want to do it. I was like, oh, Brahms sonatas, yeah, let me play. Beethoven sonatas, yes, let me play. <laughs> so I played all the violin and cello sonatas, you know, with all, all my friends. And one of my friends wanted to play for a conductor. So she brought me along as a accompanist. And there was playing Brahms sonata with a violinist. And the, the conductor didn't like the violinist, but actually really liked me and said, you know, I think I see something. Why don't you come and study with me? I said, well, study what? He said, well, you know, you're not likely to be very tall. Your hands are probably not going to be very big. And I predict that you'll be limited. He said, why don't you come? If you play the viola, I'll just teach you. Just bring the viola. I'll teach you. So it was a very unusual beginning. Um, I never really fell in love with the viola until I heard a Haydn quartet. Oh, how old were you then? I was very old. I was 14. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was 14 years old, there was somebody else from England came to Taiwan to listen to some kids play. And somebody recommended that he come and hear me. Long story short was that he asked me to send a tape to the Ehudi Menuhin School, where it's a school for 50 kids globally, age 8 to 18. And... It's really very selective. And, and where is that school located? It's in UK. So it's okay. in Surrey. Okay. It's about 45 minutes south of London. Uh, of course, my parents had not heard of this place. And we, again, weren't really in a position to consider any of it. And at that point, I think my parents were very, they were very, very much torn because they knew they couldn't come with me. And they yeah. knew that I had to make that choice. And they said, what well, do you want to do this? Wow. And it was, you know, what now I have a son who's 14. And when I think about what it's like to ask someone to make that decision, I don't know how I did it, honestly. Yeah. But I think I just desperately, I just wanted to be with music. I mean, for me, there was nothing that made me happier. So those years were absolutely incredible for me when I was in England. Wow. And I knew my family had to basically give me everything they had in order for me to do this. So I did not waste a second. I, I really kind of buried myself in books and in recordings. And, and I practiced, obviously. But I had amazing people to guide me. Yehudi Menuhin, who came and visited, he cared for us very much. He came every semester and he would make, insist that he listens to every single kid. And that in, so that includes, you know, cellists and pianists and violists. And we just played for him. And he really shared so much about his perspectives on life and on music. And all of those things were so wonderful because Ehudi Menuhin is truly one of the greatest musical figures of 20th century. And so even though we were young kids, there were always conversations about what it means to face yourself how music is like a mirror, you know, mm-hmm. that it is, yes, you are taking yourself apart, but you have to put yourself back together. You have to present yourself on stage. And then the idea and the transformation, how do you pick and choose? How do you listen? He was so amazing. And I find myself, now that I'm teaching so much, mm-hmm. um, I, I thank 
God every day for having given me that time because it, you know, even if I were seeking and begging, I would not have known what a great gift that was. It sounds like an incredible learning experience. It was. It was. <laughs> what are some of the things that you share with your students that you remember important lessons with? Mm, okay, I can tell you so many. Um, one of the things he talks about that I love and I find myself thinking about it all the time is the sense of space. He yeah. talks about space in the way that there's space between you and your instrument. So space within hands and space to breathe in front of the instrument. Uh -huh. But then he talks about also that you would need to project the idea of space between your instrument and your audience and between your music and the hall. And that if you respect space, I think you listen to sound in a very different way. It's very interesting. It's really, well, it's a beautiful analogy also because once you think about space, we physically relax. We start to grow into the space of the instrument instead of feeling like you're forcing and fighting it, which we see a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, when people have a little bit of the wrong concept, they think, well, this is the only way that's right. There is no absolute right or wrong ever, right? And part of, I, I feel part of my job as a teacher is try to find a way to help someone unlock their inner magic so that they find a way to put it together themselves. It's very easy to say, well, that's a good idea, that's a bad idea. It's almost too passive, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a much better way to say, how do you think about this? Why would this be maybe slightly better way of thinking about this? And how do you then put this passage together? I can tell you to practice 60 times, but that's actually not the key. Right. The key is still that you have to sense that the comfort and the space, and you have to figure out what it means to let go. And... Go through that discovery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so going back a little bit to the UK, what happened after that? So when I was 17, um, there was a rather large international viola competition, Turdis competition that happens in UK every three years. And my teacher just said, why don't you go do this? And me with zero idea about competition, zero idea of anything. I just said, okay. <laughs> why not? So I went and I did not think I was going to win and I won. Wow. And, and I was the youngest competitor and that was the first time that it gave me any sense that, oh my gosh, maybe I'm actually okay at this. Maybe I can do this. <laughs> but up until then, I had zero, I, maybe just because I really was, I just was spending time loving my Mahler, my Haydn, my Beethoven. I really was, just my head was in the music and I did not look up. That's a really great wow. place to start though, you know, not knowing how good you are and <laughs> just well. loving playing for the love of music. So after England, um, the only option for me to go to school was, in fact, Curtis, because, again, I knew I had to go someplace where it's tuition free. Very nice. And so Curtis and then what's after? I was at Curtis for three years. And actually, the end of the third year was when I met now my husband, Misha Amory. Fellow violist. Another violist. <laughs> I know, I know. And in fact, most people say, how could you have married a violist? And, you know, again, uh. it's not as if you planned these no. things, right? <laughs> you certainly don't. And that's really the best thing that's ever happened to me is that I really have a supportive and a wonderful, wonderful husband.
But I met him, and he was a student at, at Julia at the time. And so he said, "Oh, why don't you come to New York?" And so <laughs> that was really the reason. Okay, that's great. So you were at Curtis, and he was at Julia. Yes, yes. And then you went to Julia. Yes, <laughs> after, after Curtis. Right. Worked out great right. for Julia. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's I. I was lucky. Yeah. I feel like we have to talk about the bar talk viola concerto. Of course. That's, what you're here to play. Oh, okay. And <laughs> I, I know that there's a really long and storied history of it, but I would like to hear your personal history with the Bartok Viola Concerto. When did you first when did you first start playing it and how mm. did how did you decide to play it now? Ah, okay. Um well so as you and I are both violists, we know that our concerti choices a handful. Um, <laughs> there are actually quite a few others that People don't play as often, right. but clearly, in terms of quality, Bartok is certainly one of one of our gems. So, of course, as a student, that's something that I think everyone just studied. And so, yes, I've obviously known the piece for so long. In fact, I remember playing for Ehudi Menuhin and having him sign my my music. Wow. And so, I now have this page of signature from him. Um, it's it's yeah. <laughs> Very special. It is like an old friend, and the material is so incredibly genuine. And there's a kind of lament in the music that I find so passionate and so incredibly haunting. So we're lucky to have you with the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra play the Bartok Viola Concerto, but also we would love to hear about your other performances, whether solo, chamber music. Can you please tell us a little bit about about what's coming? Yes, yes. Okay. So, you know, this season I'm I'm very lucky. It's really a variety of things. So after playing with with your symphony, I'm doing the opening night of CMS. So Chamber Music Society, we have we're putting on a British program, and so very appropriately so, I'm playing a British sextet, <laughs> uh, a bridge sextet. And then after that, the next thing in the city, I have a string trio with Jennifer Coe and Mina Smith, and we called ourselves Variation String Trio, and we're actually presenting a concert at the Y, 92nd Street Y. It's a one-hour short string trio concert, but fantastically rich music with Sarriaho, uh, Andrew Norman, and Quartag. So that's November 30th yeah. uh, is our concert at the Y. And then the next project is part of the Jonathan Biss Late Style Project. He's putting on a set of three concerts at Carnegie. And I'm actually collaborating with the Brentano String Quartet doing a Mozart viola quintet. And the rest of the season, then, you know, traveling to Korea, to Taiwan, and to Florida. <laughs> the rest is the, elsewhere. But like in, a city, year. <laughs> in a city, these are some of the interesting things. That's great. Now, a little bit outside of viola, if you were to choose an instrument that was a wind instrument or a percussion instrument. Or a brass instrument. Or brass instrument. Non-string. A non-string instrument, what would that be? A non-string instrument. I would go back to the piano. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Piano, oh gosh, the possibilities are just endless. And it's such you an know? excellent foundation to learn. Yes. To yes. build on the piano. Yeah. My instrument is flute, so I have to speak for the wind instruments and <laughs> yes. brass player. If you have to pick a wind or brass instrument. <laughs> you want me to say that? Yes. 
<laughs> I see. That's what this is all about. That's where okay, it's all then going. Okay, then I choose the flute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the piccolo. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share with us? No, gosh, it's a really, it's a privilege to be here, especially <laughs>、oh, no. because not too many violists get to be at the microphone, right? That's right. That's right. Go violists. <laughs> so thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you so much for speaking with us. This is so great. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Welcome back. We're here with Kate Stocker, who not only is our board president but is also a proud member of the second violin section in the orchestra. We've decided to continue the tradition from the first season of the podcast of hearing from members of the orchestra to hear their stories, how they started playing, and how they found out about the BSO. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Caitlin. Thank you so much again for having me back. Hi, Felipe. Hi, Kate. So, tell us, how did you start in music? That's a great question. So I think when I was young, I think I was a very musical kid. I was always dancing and singing around the house. So by the time I turned eight years old, at my school is when you had the opportunity to play a musical instrument, and my first choice was actually the cello. And so I played the cello for a month, and my parents thought that the instrument was too big, and so I needed to play the violin. But the other part of that story was. My parents one night when I came home from school, they played for me a CD of some violin music, and the legend is that I was so moved to tears that I wanted to quit the cello and switch over to the violin. That's lovely. That's so sweet. Do you know what what <laughs> what did you listen? I really don't know. I really wish I could. Maybe at some point in a subconscious. State, I'll come across that piece again, and it'll trigger something within me, and I'll start crying. That's great. <laughs> well, let us know. You'll hear it here first. You're a music teacher. You're an educator. How long have you been teaching, and what ages do you teach? So this is my tenth year teaching. Whoa, congratulations! Thank you.、Wow. Yeah, I call this my tenth year victory lap. Um, but that's I'm not done. Don't worry. <laughs> so this year I am teaching fourth, fifth, and sixth grade orchestra, and I'm also teaching sixth grade chorus, which is very interesting and new for me. It's been a long time since I've sang and taught chorus, so、um, it's I'm using different parts of my brain than I'm used to. But it's been really fun, and the kids have been very excited about it. That's great. How did you hear about the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra, and how long have you been playing? So I moved to Brooklyn about five years ago, and I was looking for opportunities to play. And it's a funny story. I actually set up an appointment and an audition with another orchestra, and they said, "Oh, come down on this Sunday, and、uh, at this church at three o'clock, and we'll hear you play." And I. Lined up some apartment hunting appointments as well. So I came down, looked at some apartments, and I had my instruments and I had my music with me. And of course, I came to Saint Anne's Holy Trinity Church, which is the church that, of course, the BSO used to perform at for a long time, for a very long time. And I was walking up and down Montague Street, waiting for my three o'clock appointment. That appointment came and went as no one was actually at the church waiting for me to listen to them. This was for another.、Orchestra. This is for another orchestra、okay. oh. that shall not be named. <laughs> 
And I was shopping at one of the stores down the street. And someone noticed me with my violin case, and they asked, "Oh, did you perform in the concert today?" And I responded, "No, I'm I'm here for an audition for an orchestra." And this person said, "Oh, well, we play with the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. You should come meet Nick. He's out on the street right wow. now, and come play with us." And so I go out into the street. And there's Nick Armstrong, music and director, artistic director of the, of the orchestra, and and of course Nick in his in his warm and jovial oh, yeah. way introduced himself and said, "Oh, you should come join us in the oh, for the orchestra next season." <laughs> nice impression. Is that your British you. accent? That, that a, it's a, that can be a better Spot one, but that's on. my Nick impression <laughs> with love. And um, so I I said right there and then, all right. So I moved to Brooklyn in July and then joined the orchestra in September. And what year was that? This was in the fall of 2011. So this is my fifth, sixth season with the orchestra. Wow. Well, I'm really glad that that other orchestra didn't show up and steal you away from us. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's 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 really funny how that works out. It was fate. You were you were destined to be part of BSO. Exactly. And then become our fearless leader. Yes. If you had to choose an instrument that is not a string instrument or that is not your instrument, what would you choose? I love brass instruments. When I was in college and had to take brass methods, I found the sensation of buzzing on the mouthpiece to be really cool. Um, and I would march up and down my music building playing the B-flat major scale <laughs> on the trombone. It was so, I was so proud of myself. Um, so it probably would be... So you were good on the trombone. It's maybe, I mean, trombone and French horn, I hear from our colleagues, it's are the hardest to get. Not the French horn. I could I could not play the French horn. I find <laughs> I have so much respect for French horn players, just knowing how small the embouchure is and all the different partials is, is uh, it's really, really particular. So, um, but I'm either the trombone or the trumpet. I, I find I, I really enjoyed learning those instruments. So tell us about what it's like to be in the second violin section. I think it's a very privileged spot because you're in the very center. You can hear everyone. You have a great view of the conductor, of the audience, if you want to take a peek. (laughs) So what it's like to play in the section with the Brooklyn Symphony? I love playing second violin. I think it doesn't get the, the kudos that it deserves. A lot of students that I know I've worked with in the past, they always like playing first violin because they like the melody or it's harder. And I think it's way harder to play in the second violin section because your ear may not be initially attuned to the melody because, of course, second violin and the viola and the inner voices have a lot of the Mm -hmm. supporting lines. But those supporting lines are the ones that I love the most because you're creating that harmony and you get to you get to lean into that and I you think have it's the really nuts beautiful. and bolts and you're first understanding the melody and then you protect it or accompany exactly. it yeah right 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 yeah and um, a lot of the second violin literature is written it's a lot more difficult than than first violin like certain passages of Mozart absolutely I was going to say Mozart violin two passages can be deadly so hard but lots and lots of fun to play so i play in a string quartet with other members from the orchestra and i'm the second violinist in the quartet and there's nothing i love more than playing that chamber music and supporting hannah on the first violin and 
playing something with Claire, the violist, and we kind of lean in together. It's a really fun experience. So I take that wherever I go as a second violinist. I think it's really fun. What's the name of that quartet? Our quartet is the Meadowlark Quartet. All right. Can we hear the quartet perform live, or is there a recording, a website? We have a SoundCloud page, www.soundcloud.com slash Meadowlark Quartet. A little bit outside of music and work, what does Kate like? That is not music, that is not pedagogy, that is not teaching and, and playing with the orchestra. That's a great question. I'm really into yoga. I think as a person, whether or not you're a musician, I think it's really important to be balanced. And I'm also a real trivia nut. A couple of days ago, I, I did the online test for Jeopardy. Wow. Um, so... <laughs> I think I did okay. All right. We'll How see. many questions? I've heard that it's 50 questions. How many did you get right? Um, this time around, maybe somewhere between 35 and 40. Wow. Oh. And so the cutoff is more than 30? I think 30? if you get more than 35 questions correct, then they might invite you to the next round. Well, we hope to see you in Jeopardy yeah. soon. Me too. Rude and go, Kate. Yeah, that would be really fun. Well, thank you so much, Kate. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Caitlin, Felipe, thank you so much for having me on today. It was so much fun to talk to you guys. Thank you. Please check brooklynsymphonyorchestra.org for more episodes of this podcast and to purchase tickets to our upcoming concert on October 23rd at 2 p.m. at the Brooklyn Museum. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for more updates. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. I'm Caitlin Choi. And I'm Felipe Tristan. Until next time, thank you for listening.